Two clowns get into a car. One shuts the car door on his finger. Meanwhile, the car they're in starts rolling backwards and neither notices. An Audi backs out of a garage and... The Audi's backup camera saved its driver from a collision with the literal clown car. What follows is a series of clowns on the road, one putting on clown makeup while driving, another one in a moving van with props falling out the back of it. And in every scenario, an Audi safety feature that saves its driver from catastrophe. There are clowns all around you, and you basically need to be in a vehicle which is going to protect you from the idiocy that's happening on a day-to-day basis. It's a beautifully simple, fantastically shot campaign with a message that's bigger than Audi. It's bigger. It actually serves the automobile industry in as much as it does Audi. It's a commercial that translates across geographic lines, which, as it turns out, is extraordinarily hard to do. I'm Damien Bradfield, and this is Influence, a show about advertising, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Today, we're going to be talking about global advertising, what works, what doesn't, and why it's so tricky to get right. Are you ready, Pella? I am so ready, yes. Here with us today is Pella Chanel, who, at the time of this interview, was the worldwide chief creative officer at the ad agency BBH. One of the most well-known ad agencies in the UK, if not the world. He's worked on campaigns from Singapore to London to Los Angeles. Welcome, Pella. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Give us a bit of your background. You're a Swedish guy working in LA for a British company, owned by the French. Yes. Does that background sort of help you out? Yeah, I'm from Sweden, but not only... I'm from north of the wall. I'm way up north. If you keep going, you start going south. I'm north of the Arctic Circle, north of Iceland. What's it called? Where are you from? What's the town called? Gällivare. Oh, say it again. Uh, Gällivare. I'm a UK organ from nowhere. And uh, which actually does affect Swedes. I mean, not just from Yelvar, but Sweden in general, we feel like we're, we're not part of the world. Uh, so we have to kind of learn everything about it. And it's, it really affects the way that we, the, our creativity and things is that we, we really want to learn from everything else and kind of adapt to it. So I think that's uh, probably why I'm here. And how dark does it get up there? It's as dark as it can get. Uh, Maybe I'm, I've exaggerated this over the years, but I mean, in Stockholm, I remember in fall, sun comes up around 10 and then it goes, you know, down around, I don't know, three, four. So you basically go to work in darkness, you work and then you go back in darkness and it's uh, also very cold at the same time. So it's, I think there's a psyche thing that happens in that. I have some friends, we, I mean, we've had very, very high suicide rates in Sweden throughout the years and I'm I'm going to guess that darkness has to do with that and but there's also a big portion of people who get very very positive it just go straight against that and 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 are very like you better do something with it you know and that must be you right 
I am that one. Yes. Luckily, I'm very happy to be that. And uh, for sure, yes, I would say that's my, maybe my strength and my weakness. You'd obviously studied something relevant, perhaps not because advertising takes anybody, to be honest. But you studied something in Sweden that then took you to Minneapolis. I want want to back up there a little bit. Uh, Advertising takes anybody. Can you, can you develop on that a little bit? But what I always loved about advertising was that you, you could pretty much study anything and you could you could add some value because what you're talking about are building campaigns for people. And yes. therefore, you didn't necessarily need to have a PhD in any particular field in order to be an expert in advertising. You needed to have uh, be a very good generalist in order to be an exceptionally good creative. That's Yes, that's true. I, I do think also that what happens, though, with the creative, especially creative professions is... T- you forget that we do have educations and we have studied advertising. A lot of us went to school, spent a lot of money and time to to learn this craft and field. Um, but it's it's a weird one because it's not like you can slap a doctor's license or a kind of a law degree on the table. It's still very subjective somehow at the end of the day. And it's something that's sometimes hard for young talent to kind of prove their way uh, and things right. but when you when you study something like this. So how did you get your first job then? Did you, did, was your first job working at Fallon? My first job in the US was working at Fallon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing that I am at BBH because when I, w- I was 13 years old when I went into a cinema in Sweden to see, to sneak into James Bond. You had to be 15 to see James Bond at the time. And I snuck in and I saw a Levi's ad commercial and it kind of changed my whole perception of what's cool in the world. Uh, and which and ad was, was it? It was uh, Laundrette, where Nick came and walks in and just looks so cool. And I think it's kind of like when my parents heard Beatles for the first time. That it, it's something that was just made for me, for my generation. Someone thought of me somewhere. And it was just everything I wanted to be. I wanted to be Nick Kamen. I wanted to be in, around, about, like whatever I could do to get closer to that. And so I decided, I don't know if it, like I tried maybe dramatize this a bit afterwards like make it more romantic than it was but it really hit me and I wanted to pursue a creative profession partly because I wasn't very good in school so my grades are not going to take me anywhere <laughs> uh, I loved I loved the school but I, I had no idea why I was there but people said I was good at drawing and, and things like that so I had something that I was good at and like it was a calling and then uh, my first job to your question was I asked my dad, you know, do you know anyone in advertising? Do we know someone? Is someone I can talk to? He's like, I actually have a friend, Krister. He, ha- he, he has an advertising agency. So talk to Krister. So I talked to Krister and Krister Brunkel. And I said, I think I might want to do something like this. Like, what do you do? And he said, well, it's a trade. You don't really just get into it. It's not that easy, little buddy. Uh, so, so uh, but then he said, "But actually, you're kind of you're lucky because something just happened, which is the Macintosh, and there's desktop publishing. If you learn the Mac, then as you know, as a young person with uh, ambition, you can actually be helpful in this industry. So, if you learn some programs, then I can call my friend who has a desktop publishing place, and you could basically intern there. If that works out, then I can use it in my place." And it all worked out. And then that became my first job was at that advertising agency, Brunkel and Strömberg. How many people do you think were inspired by that Nick Kamen ad? I mean, for those of you who can't see Pella, he, he is a pretty good looking guy. And he, he's probably at this moment wearing 
quite a few pieces of jewellery and some pretty dapper clothing that probably is quite <laughs> Nick Cayman-esque. I still want to be Nick Cayman. Um, so how many people do you think BBH inspired through that work? And, and let's not forget Brad Pitt, who also came through BBH and Levi's, right? I mean, probably one of the first times we saw Brad Pitt on TV was through a Levi's commercial. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those moments when advertising, and that's what we're going to talk about too, like global advertising, when you affect and create culture as opposed to adapt to it or right. try to be part of it or those things. They, they properly created Americana, but it's the first time you start looking backwards in fashion, vintage. So everything before that was mm-hmm. like new eras. And then after the 70s, go to thrift stores and things to kind of look backwards. And they did that. I mean, they could have made 80s looking ads for Levi's. That would have been terrible. Yeah. But what it was, was kind of a, a glimpse back. But I think that it was also a time when you would see, and later on, obviously, there was, I think it was five number one billboard chart singles from the Levi's campaign alone. It was pure pop culture. I think that that happened again with Nike. These things are when brands are leading the way. And, and, but it's and not just of, those brands, right? I mean, BBH, just so you know, BBH rejected me twice for a job. I, you know, I'm not bitter about it anymore, but at the time I was gutted, you know, BBH was definitely one of the best agencies that, that existed introducing, you know, Flat Eric. That for me was a, was a campaign that, you know, no one else was doing. It had nothing to do yeah. with, um, you know, you moved from Nick Kamen literally taking off a pair of jeans. So you couldn't get more literal to Flat Eric, which is, you know, a puppet literally saying nothing, but just moving his head in a car. It's a very strange ad. The puppet and a human driver are pulled over by a cop. The puppet changes the music suddenly, switches out a racy picture of a woman in a cop costume on the sun visor to a picture of a sweet horse. Can I see your papers, please? When the cop approaches, the IDs don't pass muster. stepping out of the car, sir. The cop asked the driver to step out of the car and open up the trunk. Could you open the trunk, please? And when he does, there are six very neat piles of press shirts and pants. Have a good day, gentlemen. And the cop immediately lets them off. The assumption is he's convinced by the press shirts they're all good. It was pretty remarkable. And that sort of work was the work that I, that I really wanted to be involved in. But, you know, it was a pretty hard place to get into. At that time, BBH was definitely one of the most awarded agencies in the world. And the work they were putting out was pretty monumental. Doing campaigns that touch everybody, whether you're sitting in, you know, as a teenager in Singapore or as a 25-year-old in Hackney, it's pretty hard to do, right? First of all, we were, you proved us wrong about you. So if if that happened twice, then uh, (laughs) we were just plain wrong, Damien. Um, I saw it happening from Sweden. To me, it made perfect sense. England, Britain, the whole pop culture creation that came from, you know, if you look at the 80s, you had Clash, David Bowie, television, comedy, Monty Python. Victory is mine! Look, you stupid bastard, you've got no arms left! Yes, I have. Look! Just a flesh wound. It was pop culture central in the UK from late 70s through the 80s and in, into the 90s. 
I think that was the what was brilliant from from BBH was that it basically didn't make ads. You know, it, it made it made something that felt different. So one thing that's enormous honor is this job that that John once had. That's John Hegarty, founder of BBH and creator of the Levi's Laundrette ad. Yes, and to have his office in London, and I walked in there for the first time um, in this role. I looked around and and then there were these stacks of projectors and then I lifted up one slide and I held it up and it says how to make Levi stop being a fashion brand when the world zigzag and that's exactly the point here was that obviously it was incredibly trendy but it was trying to not be fashion it was pop culture the three founders of BBH um were clearly very intelligent and knew what they were doing. But I wonder if they knew or whether it was really deliberate that they were producing campaigns or you guys were producing campaigns that there was very little language in it, right? The language was music. The language and the communication tools were very visual and very musically driven. Mm. And that, you know, that's across so much of the work that came out of BBH at the time. I can remember the first work that was done for Audi by BBH, which, you know, is an iconic German brand. And someone had decided that they were going to take a car and compare the noise of the engine to a snorting bull getting ready to go into the bull ring. And, you know, the, the only thing you'd hear would be the background noise of the engine. Um, and then it would end with the line, you know, Vorsprung durch Technik. Yeah. It, it was pretty brave and super intelligent that you do this work because it can literally move anywhere. And so many brands failed to do that sort of work where... You know, it would have to be translated and then you have the issues of transliteration and then, you know, it's so such a complicated thing to do at a global level. Yeah. John is an art director. I think he was always kind of pushing that. Obviously, there's a lot of amazing copywriting that's come out of BBH too, but I think it's it's similar to, you know, the greatest filmmakers and, and, and screenwriters. They, they right. try not to have dialogue explain the plot. You have that being done by the viewer connecting the dots and understanding who's who and what's the conflict here or that's just quality communication when you allow the the viewer or the reader or the user to to do it themselves to connect it then then you have told the story that has gone one level deeper than just telling them but i think that's and then the forsberg dirk technique story is fantastic because it was during a pitch which was obviously hugely important for bbh that had just been that had just started they went down to to Germany, to Ingolstadt, where Audi's from, and they got a factory tour. And in the tile, in the factory line, it said Vorsprung Duke Technik. And the legend says that John looked at it and said, that's it. Gotta love those legends. Yeah, and that's it. And it's sadly never really used in the US, but in Europe, where we have so many different languages... To have a German, not it's not also it's not an easy German no. like Vorsprung durch Technik, like but you don't have to know what it means. You know that this Germans yeah. mean business about the, the cars they build and they have a they're obsessed with it, right? That it means advancement through technology. Just adapting a German tagline for any country is absolutely the opposite of what we're being asked to do on global campaigns, right. where just find a couple of words that everyone understands and that can be fit. Does this work in China? Does yeah. this work in there? You know, instead of like, is this working for German cars? <laughs> you know, so I think that's a great example also of 
having the audience connect the dots again. It's that generosity that makes it a deeper impact and, and sticks around longer. Those values are still there very much, right? I mean, the, the recent work you guys did, um, you know, Clowns, this, the commercial for Audi again. Send the clowns. Where are the clowns? And again, that's one of those things that I think can only come from a, an agency that has a certain degree of confidence and one that's been installed from day one. Yeah. Right, I... I spent some time working at J. Walter Thompson and they represented Mazda, a car in a slightly different league to Audi. Um, <laughs> you said it. But the Mazda MX-5, which, you know, when I was a kid, even my dad called it a hairdresser's car, <laughs> was the best-selling cabriolet of all time. I think it's in the Goodness Book of Records. Wow. And um, Convertible, I think, in the over yeah. here. JWT went on a, you know, a global exercise in trying to work out what a suitable tagline would be for Mazda. And interestingly, you know, they went out and spoke to every market and it's a very democratic agency. So rather than a sort of forthright decision coming down from the top that you need to just use Vorsprungdurk technique in every single country, it was, no, no, let's find something that works for everybody. So we're going to translate a tagline into different languages. So they decided and landed on Mazda. Zoom, zoom. That's the tagline that everybody understood because that was a noise that a car made when a child was playing with it and Mazda was supposed to represent fun. When a child picks up a car, he naturally puts it on the table and goes zoom, zoom, zoom. When in the UK, a car doesn't make that noise. A car goes boom, boom. Yeah. And in 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 uh, in Asia, I can't remember which market it was, they didn't read the Zoom as a letter Z. They thought it was a number two. So they thought it was Mazda, 200 meters, 200 meters. Oh, wow, that's hilarious. Yeah, it didn't even translate because they had no concept of what <laughs> Zoom Zoom meant. It didn't, it yeah. didn't mean the noise of a car. And these sort of complexities in trying to, you know, create work that resonates with people is something that I don't, I'm sure at BBH you've struggled with some degree. But I don't think it's that sort of company that is trying to please everybody. I get the, I've always had the impression that it's been an agency that's um, you know, led with its beliefs and tried to put really the best work forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's obviously why I was attracted to it. And I think there is a, an in there in that any great agency has uh, a good balance between strategy and creative. We call it the intelligence and the magic. And you need the intelligence to create the magic, but without the magic, it's just intelligence and it doesn't really affect you as much. But I think that is uh, where there is greatness is when you understand, and which you, you talked about, about Zoom, Zoom, and the kind of, you have to understand the audience, you have to understand who you're talking to, and then you have to create something to give something back that, that gets the effect that you want. And great agencies challenge these things. The, the great thing here, in a way, and, and the sad thing is no one loves advertising. I mean, it's just more or less annoying and you know it's paid for, you know what they want. I, I think that's lovely because that means that I can try to do something beautiful in a world of shit. Right. You know, trying to make something that in, with these 
with these kind of parameters to do something that actually go, wow, that I didn't think of that, or that that made sense. Or, and that's the job of a great agency to help brands to do. And we're very lucky at BBH because we have very clear philosophy and very clear point of view, which is we have the black sheep as our logo that actually came from one of the first Levi's ads. It was a, a print ad where we launched black denim before they had your diet. But it is lots of white sheep going one direction and a black sheep going the other way. And it says, uh, when the world zigzag, introducing black denim. I mean, you could know already that the black sheep were the, the punk rockers. Everyone who's already dyed their jeans black were the black sheep. But for us, when the world zigzag is, is for business purposes. You know, if you create new space uh, and go in another direction, that's how you create growth for business. We've also realized that the way to find the zags is to look for the zigs. The common things that everyone is talking about that, you know, we hear the same old thing on social and then you do the opposite. Like all the things that are famous, all the things, all the big work that you see, like the Colin Kaepernick, whatever, which is amazing, is that there was a movement going in one direction and then a brand stuck out and created something in the other direction. And it, it, it's quite simple. And you've worked in quite a few different countries now. It, I mean, at least in my memory, there was always quite a lot of arrogance, I think, coming from the UK and the US when it came to advertising. The UK and the US knew what good advertising was. The rest of the world was stupid. And <laughs> the UK and the US were going to basically produce work that would run everywhere. Is it still the case today? I mean, is are there markets that are better at international work than others? It can come from anywhere. So, so the quick answer is that. And I think where it comes from is not from a country or a region. It comes from understanding, in my opinion, universal truths. And universal truths are things that no matter where you're from, no matter what you uh, what your background is, class, or uh, you still have these human things that we share. And when you get ideas uh, that are striking those chords, it resonates everywhere. Right. You moved to LA, you know, sitting there. I mean, LA is a melting pot of all sorts of different nationalities and everything else. Does it, does yes. it matter, you know, that you're in LA? And, and can great creative work come out of any city? So... As an example, BBH Singapore last year or two years ago became International Agency of the Year. BBH has never been International Agency from London okay. or from New York or from us, but, but our Singapore office has absolutely made fantastic work on Nike and Ikea and, and other things that have, have affected the whole world. What's interesting with Singapore is it's, it's, it's Southeast Asia, it's Jakarta, it's Thailand. You know, it's, it's Indonesia. There's so many different emerging markets there. I do not think that there is truth in that the US and UK are better at advertising. I do believe that there's a concentration of talent in those places because of the previous success. Right. But, I mean, you can see amazing work from Australia, New Zealand. I would say Brazil is incredible. Give us some examples. Tell us. What's happened in Brazil? Brazil has always had fantastic visual print work mm -hmm. because you've had a lot of illiteracy. You've had to communicate with visual means. Mm -hmm. But if you look at 
Brazilian talent. Of course, there's there's talent in Brazil, but also if you look at all the like Burger King work, they're Brazilians. And then, yes, they go everywhere. And yes, they will end up in some metropoles <laughs> that have the means to do that. But it comes from everywhere. Looking at Sweden as an example that has a really good reputation when it comes to creativity in, in our industry and, and kind of Swedish creatives, that also came from necessity. We didn't get commercials on television until 1987. At that time in Sweden, uh, there were a lot of great creatives, but no one had done film, really. There was a, a shoot, um, one of the first shoots uh, where a famous art director was sitting, uh, who'd done lots of print, obviously, and, and radio and things before, sitting with a stopwatch on the first scene. And as it passed 30 seconds or 45 in Sweden, he was like, wait, wait, stop, we're, we're way over now. And then the producer made film, you know, had to take him aside and say, listen, we're, we're actually going to edit. So we're going to like may, maybe not use all from this scene and then we're going to create, oh, okay, cool, cool. Obviously there was naivety to that and, and a kind of a, a new art form. So there were no like, oh, you got to end on the pack shot. You have to have smiling people and you probably have to have like this, this, this. It was like, okay, great. We have time to make something great here. So we called the best filmmakers, Roy Anderson and others who were like, the best filmmakers came and made ads. Uh, Diesel for a successful living happened from, from Sweden. It was an amazing campaign, right. but it was very, very Swedish because it was kind of a disrespect to advertising in a way. Right. Instead of glorifying a Nick Kamen type character, the ads almost made fun of the perfect man. I remember this one ad that was supposed to be a Western duel. The Ken doll-like guy leaves his blonde wife and baby to challenge a grotesque adversary. And we're trained to root for Mr. Handsome with the diesel jeans. But he's shot dead by a man who celebrates his victory by picking his nose. It was a dig at Levi's and Americana. It was certainly memorable. Coming from that part of the world, I believe it got better because we didn't sit at Madison Avenue. And that's probably a similar story for the UK, right? If you go back to 1982, the number of people that were shooting commercials back then was very well paid. You know, if you're a budding filmmaker, it's pretty hard to make a name for yourself and to make a living. But then suddenly, you know, some young guys come along and say, look, I can get you £500,000 for shooting a 30-second or a 60-second commercial for Levi's. That would be incredible. Absolutely. I think also it wasn't just the money. It was to make film. I mean, if you're a filmmaker, it's very rare that you get to actually go and shoot. Um, But with commercials, you get to train and you get to kind of get your prove your worth uh, with a yes a budget but also with a crew and with a kind of a, a level of filmmaking that is kind of what your aspiration right. is so i think that's yeah i mean incredible amount of uh filmmakers from the uk and from other places that started in advertising if we um, fast forward to 2019 yeah you know, we're no longer dazzled by you know ridley producing a 60 second commercial for for a, for a brand when we're no longer glued to the screen at 6 p.m., you know, to see what's happening. Even the Super Bowl, you know, the commercial break is starting to wear off. It's, I don't know how many people are that bothered about a yeah. Super Bowl commercial that's more expensive and more glamorous than it ever was. You know, how do you capture attention in a way that isn't literally retargeting people all around the web, but in a way that delivers 
what you you know beautifully mentioned when I can remember BBH being famous for is that universal truth. I can remember Polaroid, pretty sure this was BBH, um, coming up with an insight, which was Polaroid is not about film and it's not about a camera. It's a social lubricant. Yeah. That, you know, taking a Polaroid picture of a moment and having that gratification of being able to share that what you just captured with friends was a social lubricant discussion point. That sort of universal insight is super hard to develop and get the time and space to to share today, right? How how do you do it today? I think I think there are two ways. One which you just mentioned, which is universal insights and universal truths, because they will resonate deeper and harder with people than you telling people what you just made and said that you should buy it. I, I just wanted to tell a quick story. One of the best insights of it. We never did anything really with this. I still want to do a lot of things with it. So we, we worked on Axe, uh, which was Lynx in the UK, a classic BBH, the, the Lynx effect or the mm-hmm. Axe effect campaign. I worked in BBH New York and we had started to see that the brand has become a bit too questionably sexist, mm-hmm. right? Because it started with being fun and things, but we need to make sure that we don't look down on women and we have to, you know, understand the dynamics here. I of vividly remember and some and, uh, Lynx creative work. Yeah. Women racing through <laughs> over the beaches, wearing not very yeah, much. Yeah, that's where it got kind of a bit out of, out of hand. Like the more you spray, the more you get or something <laughs> like that. It was like thinking you can trick women. So it wasn't appropriate and it started to become uh, wrong. Yeah. There was a call for a global research to understand uh, sex and relationships of the of the young generation. Mm-hmm. And the luckiest person in the office <laughs> got to go around the world and interview youth everywhere, like for a month or something, uh, and talk about sex for, for a month. Pretty good job. And he came back. I remember like going into the conference room and be like, this is going to be amazing. The thing was that none of the sex thing was interesting. It was like same as it ever was. There was one insight on relationships that still, like I, it, it's the it's the best thing. So he said, as it turns out, ninety nine point nine or like more or less every man, no matter religion, location, background, whatever, looks at their spouse, girlfriend, uh, wife, as perfect as something that represents what they have achieved to be next to them. Right, something that, that is kind of a I'm so proud to be with her, and I, I want her to stay this way, and she's she's amazing. And then the best part comes, which is 99% of all women see their husband, boyfriend, spouse, whatever, as a project that can one day become perfect. <laughs> my God, you just lifted the words and out the, of my wife's mouth. <laughs> it's amazing, and the attraction lies in the project. If you become perfect on to the next project. You're not interesting anymore. It's not about becoming perfect. It's about staying the project. But being better and better and better and better, but not like checking all mm-hmm. the boxes. So I think, and I think it's just such a beautiful, amazing insight. And it's so, I, I really think it is true. And I think uh, it made me, my married life in a better way. I understand that I need to work on myself instead of try to try to think that I'm perfect. Just makes it such a great dynamic. When you find those types of things, I think that could become an amazing ad somewhere, somehow, for something. When you have that, you have gold. You have something that, that will resonate with everyone. Whether it is 100% true or not, 
it's something that people can yeah. talk about, something that you connect with, you can agree with, disagree with, but it is, it is something that will affect everyone. When you have those insights, you have gold. The other way is to attach yourself to the zeitgeist. So what is it like? Explain, how do you do that? The way we live now is that there is a zeitgeist daily, weekly, monthly that is moving at a pace where so many people are aware of the same thing at the same time. That if you basically throw a hook up into the zeitgeist, your ideas will be pulled up to the zeitgeist and become famous, like Colin Kaepernick, like Fearless Girl, like all kinds of ideas that aren't even big media purchases. They are part of culture. They take a stand. They participate in the zeitgeist right. uh, instead of trying to say, hey, this is really important that we talk about lawnmowers right now because we have one for sale and you should really buy one. Those two, universal insights, beautiful, or make sure you throw up a hook in the zeitgeist and, and your ideas will fly up there and be part of the conversation. So we've talked about a lot of award-winning campaigns from BBH and some of the most successful stuff. Let's talk about some bombers. What's the worst global campaign you've seen? What's the, what's the campaign you can remember? You go, oh my God, that was disastrous. That I have hey, made? Wait, if you like. Yeah, we can point it on you if you want. Oh my God. <laughs> Focus on you. Oh, oh God. That's, yeah. Well, the lucky thing... Hmm. The worst ones are the ones that just say nothing, aren't they? Okay. I mean, we all know about this one, but I'm just, it's the only one I can come and think of, but Pepsi. Yeah, right. The one where Kendall Jenner jumps out of a modeling gig to join a protest. Not clear what they're protesting, but she's enjoying it as if it were a parade or something. In the end, she gives a police officer stopping protesters a Pepsi as if that would build a bridge between groups. That was terrible. Far too light-hearted, obviously using the protest as an advertising tool. The ad didn't say anything, didn't take a stand. It also treated the very real and serious protests about police brutality and mass shootings as fodder to sell soda there was immediate backlash. It was just a complete tone deafness about it. And I think for me, anytime I see a big celebrity saying things that I know they were paid for and things, I actually think it hurts the brand. Right. And then there are those who do it right, obviously, and that, that can be amazing. But that's a complicated thing, right, isn't it? That's a super fine line in understanding it is, you know, it when is. that works and when it doesn't work and making sure you get people that can do that you know, because at the end of the day, they are taking money for something, right? It's not like Brad Pitt walked into that Levi's commercial just because he just loved Levi's and he was going to give his time for free. He was, you know, being paid for it. The truth is you can't trick people. Right. You can't. You can't. You can exhaust them, but you, but you can't trick them. I mean, that's the worst part of working in advertising is that you're basically... You know, when you sit around a table with people and you go, what do you do? I'm advertising. I go, okay. You're like a <laughs> car salesman. Is that how of, you feel? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, and I, I get it. If I don't think about what I do and I hear someone else doing, be like, okay. But I love what I do. And I think that that goes back to the trying to make that difference in something that is bad. I, I see those 
really bad campaign. I mean, there's, Damon, they're like, they're everywhere. So the markets that you've been in and worked in, which, which ones are the trickiest? Where is it the trickiest to not necessarily develop great work, but the trickiest to understand? Right. So one of the most amazing things in my job is to get to go to all the different markets. So I go to Mumbai, Shanghai, Singapore, LA, New York, London, Stockholm all the time. And I get to kind of calibrate my knowledge about seven different markets. It's amazing to see what's happening in culture and in technology and politics and all these things. When it comes to what is the toughest place, there are some different dynamics where you look at something like Sweden, where I come from, it's hard because it's a small market. It's hard to affect the world from there unless you work on a global brand that can Ikea or H&M or Volvo and those things that come out of there. Otherwise, you become very local in Sweden. The trickiest one when it comes to the dynamics is, is India. In China, you can do a campaign in Mandarin and everyone gets it. In India, we translate every single campaign to at least at least eight languages. Oh which is, it makes it incredibly tricky, right? So it's a whole other dynamic in when it comes to making communication that will affect that market. But it also means that India is incredibly dynamic in terms of there's so many interesting different cultures and things at this, in the same country. I didn't know that. I, I mean, it's basically a, a massive Europe there with completely different countries. So I think that's tricky, but again, going back to what we talked about before, these tricky things makes for uh, better communication usually. Uh, so you have to get around those problems. It's, it's almost easier to do something great in a tough place right. than it is to do it when you're spoiled in a big city in the US or in the UK. A lot of our team are always talking about that they want constraints because without them, it's just a blank page and they're, you know, they're not able to work out what they should do. Yeah. Um, you said something earlier, which was that everybody hates advertising. I think that everybody hates shit advertising and that everybody loves great advertising. And when it lands, everybody goes, oh my God, did you see that commercial? And still to this day, we'll talk about you know great commercials. Yes. I think you can also make that maybe even more general that people do not like bad ideas or no ideas. And they love great ideas, right. no matter which form they come in. On that note, Pella, thank you very much. Fantastic. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Damien. And that's our episode today. A big thanks to Pella Chanel for sharing his international knowledge and expertise and finally, finally showing up to something I invited him to. Influence is hosted by me, Damien Bradfield. Our producer is Rachel Swaby. Our supervising producer is John Asante. And our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Influence is available on Apple Podcasts, where I prefer to listen, but you could also listen on Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It really helps spread the word. And you can follow me on Twitter at DJ Bradfield. Influence is a podcast from WeTransfer, produced in association with Neon Hum Media. Thank you so much for listening. This episode of Influence is brought to you by Straight Up, spinal straightening for millennials. Now we're joined by Matt, who heads up our sales team, who's been traveling all across the country, having used 
straight up for the last two weeks straight. Matt, tell us about it. What's straight up like? Straight up is a revolutionary product that if you have any type of back injury from slouching, scrounging, whatever the case may be, uh, straight up will have a, have, a, have a solution for you. Um, right now, I'm on the, the dual syringe plan where you get two easy shots a day. Um, you can definitely you know feel the results um, both through the excruciating pain, but also due to the, the erectness in the back area that is instantaneous. Right. Oh, I've seen you walking around. You're like an ironing board. Uh, st- uh, straight as it gets over here. Um, and, and thank you for straight up for providing us with a promo code right now for all the listeners that get 20% off uh, with, the, with the word vertebrae. That's V-E-R-T-E-B-R-A-E uh, for 20% off. And uh, Matt, what does it cost? Uh, right now it is uh, $35.99 a shot. So um, I'm not no math magician, but the savings are phenomenal and you're going to have a straight back in no time, Damien. And do I have to imply the syringe in the base of my spine myself? I've heard rumors that a nurse will come and do it for me. That's an additional $35.95 per shot. Um, so you can roughly get that right around that $100 mark and, and really, really feel the results and not have to put a single syringe in yourself. And I'm in because for millennials, all that hunching over the computer is becoming a massive issue. Straight up, proud sponsors of Influence. 